Hi, and welcome to the Kaplan Connect. I'm your host, Fire Chief Scott Freitag, and with me again today is our reluctant co-host, Assistant Chief John Fenema. John, thank you for filling in, because uh, we were supposed to interview Chief Holger Dura, uh, the new Prescott Fire Chief today, and apparently he wanted out of this so badly that he decided to block traffic for a uh, bulldozer that was broke down on the roadway that already had somebody blocking traffic for it. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I heard it on the radio, and I didn't realize what he was doing until I walked into your office, and uh, you asked me what I was doing, and I, I didn't think fast enough. I, yeah. It's been a long day, and uh, I should have come up with something better, and then I realized what he did to uh, get out of it, so that'll certainly be something uh, we have to follow up with later. You should uh, you should remember that. I will see him this yeah. evening and let him know. Uh, of course, you can follow up, because at 3.30, we have our first joint senior staff operational meeting, which I think is uh, should be good. As long as he doesn't have to block the road for like a, a cow crossing, something yeah. I don't, I don't some reason to get out of it. If it didn't show up for that one, then we really got. We yeah. really, we'll go to him. There was, I was him. at a school crossing. The crossing guard was there. They looked like they were tired. Yes, I very helpful. Break. Very he helpful. Very helpful. You know, if they're tired, we're not sponsored by Rockstar Energy Drinks, but uh, this is pretty good. It says it has electrolytes in it, so and B vitamins. Um, so it's got to be good for you. I'm not sure what taurine is. But it's, it's followed by electrolytes. Yeah. Science. <laughs> yes. That's what it is. Yeah. And, you know, the first time I had an, an actual energy drink, John, was during the Goodwin fire uh, mm-hmm. several years ago because I was I was tired. I was still newer here. Um, I'm from St. Louis. We've talked about that before. I really don't know a lot about wildland fire, so my job is to ensure that you have coffee. And the command post, but that's about the extent of my expertise in that area. <laughs> Was that a segue? It it from Rockstar to Wildland Fires. It is nice. Right. <laughs> Keep going. Keep going. That was See, I'm very nice. You yeah. said we had to get through this quick. Yes, your the skill is definitely improving. I like so, um, but you know, we're we're. I know you and Todd recently, sure. you and Chief Abel talked yeah. about the potential wildland fire, and and the conversation then I think included a magic eight ball. Yep. Um, and then about a week ago, we had the cooperators meeting and, and I went there and, and listened to everything that was happening. And typically the heavy wildland season, because what we know is that wildland season is like the windy season here. It's sure. just year round. Yep. There's months where the winds are higher and there's months where, uh, the potential for a wildland event are certainly greater. And typically what I've been told is that June is about three weeks in June is really the time where people start to get a little more concerned about the basin. Um, This year at the cooperators meeting, they said, "Eh, we're starting to get a little more concerned about Mm -hmm. mid-May. Last check, this is mid-April, and we have a fairly significant fire burning in the Bradshaws called the Crooks Fire. Not one that is likely to get into Prescott Valley or Prescott, but is certainly a concern for residents who are looking at the smoke plume, uh, which is sideways because of the wind. Yeah. No, it, uh, the, the season is always there. And like, I mean, I think we talked about it when, uh, Chief Abel was on, um, it's something that is always a threat to the community. You look at some of the fires that we've had here that have been fairly significant. Um, it hasn't always been in, like you say, that typically very hot, dry season right. during mid June. We're seeing a lot more, you know, just kind of throughout. Obviously we had a very nice monsoon season last year. But then that was followed with a very, you know, dry winter. Mm-hmm. And uh, so obviously the fuel moistures and everything is uh, not great. And we're seeing that in the, the fire activity right now. 
Right. And uh, it, you never know. I mean, it, it, that could be the big one for the season and uh, it's quiet, or that could just be the start of a very bad season. Right. It all takes starts. I mean, this area is always ripe for fires. And I think that's what people, you know, come to expect. That's also why we are very active in the, the wildland community, supporting mm-hmm. different teams, different training, different exercises, and supporting our personnel to go around the country um, to help support other agencies because we need that support, especially right. on the big fires like this. Well, and already this year we've had some crews in Tennessee. Yeah. We did a crew swap in Texas, so we've had a crew there and then switch crews. Yep. Um, and then we had single resources for incident management teams yep. in New Mexico. Uh, already the New Mexico folks are coming back. I think the Tennessee folks are coming back, pulling back on the mm-hmm. uh, Texas crew. And the reason for that is we are seeing conditions here sure. that are concerning, especially with what's going on in the Bradshaws. We know that the federal government has had trouble hiring this year, some difficulties with getting the seasonal employees, uh, states the same way. So there's more of a reliance on local resources, the local fire service agencies to backfill uh, when there is a fire. And we knew that going into the season, but we certainly didn't expect it to happen at this time of year. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, it, it's interesting last night at the uh, meeting, we had the in brief for the California yep. type one team, uh, Sarah Clausen, the, uh, the ranger for mm-hmm. the, this district said, we've already shut down the forest. Sure. And, and it's a result of this fire, but the question is, will those closures remain? Because normally it's what may mm-hmm. when they start to close them down. Sure. Uh, and and that's an impact financially to our communities, though. Oh, yeah. The whiskey off road's coming up in two weeks, and yep. she doesn't know if they're going to be able to open the forest up oh. for that event. And yeah. so that's an economic hit. Um, but wildland fires are an economic hit. So oh, which sure. which one? Yeah. Um, and this is the time of year, though, that you're seeing more more people going out camping because mm-hmm. it's nice up here. So you have more chains being drug along the roadway and. People throwing cigarette butts out the car sure. windows, things like that. You know, just general carelessness. Yeah. Um, but for us, we we are pulling those resources back a little bit. And sure. I talk about it in the review this week. You and I have talked. The battalion chiefs have talked. And I know this gets concerning sometimes for some of our folks when we say, hey, look, we're, we're not sending out of state mm-hmm. right now. And sometimes they take that as, you're not supporting the wildland program. Sure. And the fact of the matter is we are supporting the wildland program, but we have to focus on our state first. Sure. But before that, even we have to focus on our, our local and regional. Our priority is always getting the big, big red engines running out the door. Um, we are struggling a little bit with some backfill. Mm-hmm. And so there's fewer folks we can send off district because we can't get people to come in and fill the overtime. Sure. And I think you highlight it there. Our backfill is a big uh, driving force right. to our wildland program. Sure. And, uh, you know, there's always, it's always the challenge of allowing enough resources out um, to a point where we can fill those back in. Mm-hmm. We want to be good cooperators, good partners. Right. But again, we don't want to put such a burden on the personnel that are here trying to cover those shifts right. where they're getting burned out and we're having to then mandatorily hold people mm-hmm. um, in positions. That's the worst case. And I know that's the worst feeling on our personnel side. So that's where, 
it's our job to help manage that. Right. Knowing that uh, we get along, it's a marathon to get through yeah. this whole season. And we're going to have to uh, do our best to kind of draw this out without trying to wear folks out coming in for that uh, backfill. Mm-hmm. And again, sometimes it looks like a, a no yeah. when it comes to an assignment or something like that. So again, I think it's just trying to create a healthy balance that is sustainable and uh, supports personnel on, on both sides of it. Right. And, and regarding the mandatory overtime, we heard loud and clear at the Partners Academy that many of the significant others are oh, not yeah. thrilled with the idea of mandatory overtime. Now, we also recognize that's part of the job sometimes, but sure. we don't want to purposely do things yeah. that then put us in a position to have to mandate that overtime. And I think there's a number of factors that are leading to um, our folks not necessarily wanting to come in on more overtime. Mm-hmm. There has been over the last couple of years a tremendous amount of overtime as mm-hmm. a result of people being out sick for covid um, oh, yeah. backfilling rescues, yep. the the general overtime that we have for people being injured or just regular sure. sick. Um, and then the call volume has been up so much that I think folks are just tired. Oh, yeah. And we under, we totally understand that. Sure. And we certainly don't want to burn people out. That That's not the intent. Nope. Um, right. We do support the wildland. And one of the reasons that we support it, and I, I've heard some of this in the Valley where some of the, the city managers down there, because of the presumptive cancer, are mm-hmm. now saying, well, what benefit is it to us to send our crews off district out of the state? Mm-hmm. And, you know, we live in the wildland urban inter- interface, so I think we understand it very sure. well. And that's, we have a California type one incident management yes. team managing the Crooks fire. Now, that doesn't happen if Arizona doesn't send resources to California to assist. Um, This is a a mutual give and take, Mm -hmm. so to speak. And not to mention the fact that the the level of training and expertise that our folks bring back to our area so that in these situations we can stand up quickly, assess the incident, initial attack, and make a difference in in the long-term outcome of the event. That that the importance of that can't be understated. Yes, no, I think you're you're spot on in terms of a couple aspects. If we're not participating in that, um, then that's going to create a trend, and uh, other agents be like, well, all right, well, we're, we're not going to participate either. Not just because they don't want to, but you could easily create that trend out there right. where it's like, no, well, we haven't had a bad fire, so we're just going to do our thing. Mm-hmm. Um, we we rely on those those agents. We're we're not even on this fire yet. I mean, we have yeah. we're attending briefings and that kind of stuff. And I know there's some local agencies that have representation because our folks are scattered. Right. We're not even participating yet. Our hope is that as we get some of those back, we can support that. But there's agencies from all over the place that are up there supporting oh, yeah. that. And yeah. again, it's like you say that give and take where we want to be good partners. We want to be providing our folks out mm-hmm. there when possible. Um, and again, that second aspect is that training and education. It is invaluable going to a large incident and getting that comfort and expertise so that when we have uh, one of those incidents ourselves, we have personnel that are trained, prepared, and comfortable to respond. Right. There's nothing, uh, you know, fun about, uh, you know, the, uh, the Crooks fire. Right. And the challenge that come with it with uh, in the structures and in the topography that it's in. There's not a whole lot of people that are comfortable. No. And if you're not going out and getting that education, um you know, you're going to have to be hard pressed to be comfortable enough to retain anything right now. Sure. And it's not that we are tone deaf to the presumptive cancer or no, some of the other, uh, some of the other challenges that, that 
folks throw out there and say, well, you mm-hmm. shouldn't respond to this because there's this potential for this. The reality is we have a job to do. We recognize that the job is dangerous. I mean, I don't know about you, but I knew that when I put up my right hand the first day, my first job Mm -hmm. in in the fire service, it's a dangerous job. Sure. And over the years, we have gotten a lot better at mitigating those risks. Um, You know, we know we have an AFG grant uh, in play right now. Mm -hmm. If that's successful, we'll be doing the full body scans for folks to get a baseline Mm -hmm. on cancer. Uh, we approved $34,000 in particulate hoods. And sure. I don't think the general public especially realizes that the hoods the firefighters wear to go into fires, uh, they're Nomex, so they're not cheap to begin with. Sure. Uh, but that material that they're made out of just absorbs the carcinogens oh, and yeah. sweat and it soaks into the skin. Yeah. There's newer hoods out there that are supposed to pre- prevent some of that. Yep. And I know we talked about it when we were looking at the budget, that if we're looking at an AFG grant and and this amount Mm -hmm. uh, to get a baseline of of cancer for our folks, how could we say no to spending $34,000 on cancer preventative equipment? Yeah. And I would tell you, that's a great example of a a piece of equipment that uh, there's a noticeable difference. Yeah. Um, Wearing that into just some of our training, the flashover chamber. Um, where sometimes you come out come out of that and you can shower for days and you, your hair stinks. Mm-hmm. Um, you can just you can f- smell it, uh, oh, yeah. you know. And uh, it was interesting because the weren't that changed that hood. Um, I had the opportunity to demo one, and it made a noticeable difference mm-hmm. just because of that barrier that was there. And it's like, man, if that's making that much of a noticeable difference, mm-hmm. where I can I can tell that uh, I don't stink nearly as bad coming right. out of that fire. Uh, you know that it's, there's an added level of protection at that point. So, yeah. again, like I say, uh, we can't try to do one without investing some of those dollars sure. in the other. And, and at the same time, we still have a job to do. Oh, yeah. We're, just because we don't – if we didn't respond to California, Oregon, New Mexico, Texas, Tennessee, wherever it is, that doesn't mean we're not still exposed to wildland fire. I mean, it's just part of what we do, especially in the Southwest, is – fight wildland fires. And for me, I rest a lot easier at night knowing that our crews have the training necessary and and knowledge and expertise. And I use an example, we're recording this on Wednesday. You and I both Mm -hmm. responded to a a wildland event that had a structure involved Mm -hmm. the uh, late morning. And Chief Carruthers was the battalion chief on duty. Mm -hmm. And when I hear him on the radio, I have no concerns about how an incident is going to go because Chief Carruthers is very active off-duty. He's an expert in his field. He he knows what he's doing. He put more resources on that more quickly because of the weather conditions sure. um, to, to get a good stop on it. The crews did a great job. Oh, yeah. That is all a result of supporting off-district response yep. and, and sending people out to get that expertise and training. And we that fire today, I think, is serves as an example of it. I agree. And you look at the logic with, you know, looking at the cancer and the presumptive issue right. and say, hey, we're not going to participate because of the potential of this. It's no different than you look at uh, last week. We spent time with Kevin, you know, and uh, with the Mighty Oaks. Right. And looking at the mental health aspect of it. And so you look at uh, the EMS side of our house. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of trauma that is oh, coming yeah. for our personnel related to that. A lot of post-traumatic stress in dealing with difficult calls. 
um, infant deaths, children, all those things that, uh, you know, leave people with uh, struggling with the stress of the job. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's creating challenges for us that we're having to navigate as a department. Sure. We're looking at improving our mental health. We're looking at, you know, programs like the Mighty Oaks to help support our personnel when they are struggling. Right. You could take that same approach and say, well, because that incident, those incidents are causing this to our personnel. Like there's, we got to get out of that business. Yeah. Not going to run it. Not going to do it. Um, so we're not going to get in that either. And part mm-hmm. of it is you look at, uh, we're trying to do that, like you say, and there is a risk and, uh, you know, there's, it's how do we mitigate some of those risks and control those risks as best we can sure. while still doing our job. Well, and I, I think the other thing that we've done is we have done a great job as the fire service, uh, at bringing to light the challenges of behavioral health mm-hmm. in our field, uh, the challenges of cancer in our field, um, almost to a fault. Because those are not what you put on a poster to try to <laughs> recruit people yeah. Yeah. Uh, to come work in the fire service. Yeah. Hey, come work with us. We're a little messed up in the head at times, and we can get quite sick. I can see what that poster would yeah. look like. I mean, you'd have, like, like I say, cancer. You'd have the biohazard symbol. You'd have divorce. You'd have a broken home. Yeah, that's not the best selling point. No. Um, and we got to be careful that that is, the, like you say, that pendulum, like, no, this is what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. That's not necessarily true. There's tools to help you have a healthy career a uh, on both the mental aspect right. side and the physical side. And like I say, I think that's what mm-hmm. we're trying to bring that pendulum back. Now, this is still a good job. Oh, yeah. I love what I do. Oh, I do too. I wouldn't change it. And and I know when when I first started, I'd go for days blowing uh, black soot out of my nose after a fire. And it wasn't a source of pride. And, sure. And, even back then, we understood, no, the, the, you don't want all that particulate mm-hmm. on your helmet. Clean the thing off. Yeah. You know, wash the gear. But we didn't have access to all of those things sure. that we do today. We didn't have that same understanding. And so uh, it, do I do I sit here today and think about, oh, man, I exposed myself to all kinds of stuff early in my career. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I don't. I think back at my earlier career and think, and that was a blast. I wish I would have known some of the stuff, <laughs> sure. but we really, the, the career has been very rewarding yeah. it, for me. I think you feel similar. Yes, absolutely. Um, so there's a lot to recruiting people in. It, it, again, we go back to it's important to send folks off district mm-hmm. to get that training and expertise, yep. but there's a balance we have to strike because our primary objective is serving our community. Oh yeah. Um, and part of serving our community is having that, that level of training, knowledge, and expertise to deal with a wildland event in our area. And we have some folks that are just outstanding in their field and recognized nationally, uh, chief Abel, chief Carruthers, uh, among others are many more are people that, that folks look to, uh, chief Lucas with Prescott, uh, another one that's off now looking at some of the trauma that we see, I know some Prescott folks had a pretty hard call yesterday, uh, which would have been Tuesday. Uh, they had a uh, portage on on fire with a park bench. Mm-hmm. Uh, very serious. Uh, do you have pictures of that? Uh, we do not. I wish we did. <laughs> but I mentally, I'm picturing oh, yeah. pulling up on a portage on on fire because it almost feels like, John, that that turns into a hazmat incident at some point. <laughs> Yeah, no, there's nothing good coming from that. And you want to make sure you're not splashing that water. <laughs> uh, I mean, because if you're on the structure fire, you're getting splashed. You don't want that. Nope. Splash. You got to worry about the runoff and all kinds of things. Okay. Yes, that's a very dangerous situation. What is that floating down the? Oh, yeah. 
I don't, I feel bad for him. Yeah. Well, uh, I made sure I let the chief know that last night when I saw him. Very good. Yeah. He, he can, he can follow up on that based on the fact that he wasn't here. So I'm sure he was doing something better. Yeah. Apparently. That's true. He probably would have gone to that call rather than come on, on yes. the podcast. Seems but, that way. Uh, I will say in, in all seriousness that we have formed a really good relationship yeah. with the new Prescott chief, um, with the new Prescott deputy chief. And I think we have a lot of opportunity on the horizon working together. We're already doing some things together that had had not been done for a little while. Sure. Um, those things are coming back. Um, and we're actually today when we're done here, we're going over for the first uh, senior joint senior staff meeting mm-hmm. to sit down and talk about operations types of things. And, and I think that's, um, you know, just, again, another opportunity for us to to bridge any gaps that may exist or strengthen the ties that sure. we already have. Oh yeah, no, it's it's a necessary partnership. Uh, we work in coordination on training and uh, programs, and uh, the, you know, larger incidents, move ups. You know, from one, you know, even this morning with all the right. stuff we had going on, Prescott engines were running in Prescott Valley mm-hmm. and heading all the way down to Dewey. So it is a partnership that is necessary because of just the area we live in, and uh, I think it's awesome that uh, what you guys are doing to help strengthen that. Yeah. Well, and it, we know that we're going to start looking at accreditation mm-hmm. again this year. We have to get the training in. Um, but talking to Chief Dura, the, he's got to get ready for a reaccreditation in a few years. Yep. Um, he's heavily involved in the accreditation process. And so he approached me and said, hey, can we do a joint standard of cover, which hasn't been done here before. Sure. Um, and I think as we, we look to the future and we align infrastructure needs and align operational needs, doing a joint standard of cover makes sense Mm -hmm. because they don't have an effective fighting force without us and we don't have an effective fighting force without them. Sure. We rely on each other. And I think there's some, I I think we're going to be able to put a standard of cover together that one is, is very strong and supports the infrastructure needs and working Mm -hmm. together. I think just based on some conversation we had earlier, and this will unfold uh, over the next year or two. Um, I think we're gonna we're gonna show why we need some some sure. stations sooner rather than later, um, yeah. as we look at some of the newer data and the population density and what they call urbanicity, which is your urban suburban rural frontier. Um, the data is going to tell us what we need, sure. and uh, I think going for accreditation will will support that. Uh, as we yeah. move through it and go to the board and the community and say, here's, here's what this says. Yeah. Here's where we're at. If we always try to paint it as we're perfect, mm-hmm. um, then we don't need to change anything. And uh, I think part of, as we see the, the call volume increasing mm-hmm. and our reliabilities obviously decreasing along the way, we do have some decisions to be made. The community continues to grow. Call volume continues to increase. Oh, yeah. um, we have to adjust. And it's not always a popular topic, but I mean, there's also areas we know, like we probably need a station there yeah. and we can't always predict where the developments go. I mean, we, we try to yeah. listen, we try to, uh, you know, have the pulse on what's going on, but uh, you can't always predict it. And uh, so there's, there's going to be some challenges ahead as we look at some of that data and say, you know what, we got some areas where we need mm-hmm. some improvement on and we're going to make some harder decisions. Well, and it, it's interesting for me growing up in an area outside of St. Louis that grew rapidly over the years i mean just expansion uh, crazy growth mm-hmm. um but it grew mainly from the inside out sure the interesting thing here is that we see development a lot of times that goes from the outside in mm-hmm. yeah well then when people start moving into those outside developments they realize 
it's like 15 minutes to yep. get a fire engine here. Yep. Yeah, we know that. <laughs> it would have been better for a development to start closer to town and move sure. out, and then we could grow with it. Yeah. But when you start throwing developments way outside of yep. the the developed area, well, now there's response time challenges. Mm-hmm. And we can't put a fire station out for every no. development. No. As much as we would like to. Sure. It's just not possible. Yeah. Uh, we have some potential other growth coming in that we'll talk about on future episodes. But I appreciate you filling in last minute. I'm sorry Boy, that I... You, you know when I ask you a question, you should use a little I more do. caution in your approach. <laughs> hey, a good reminder. I was tired. Yeah, I that's was tired. true. I was that's worn true. down. Yeah, you, you got me. You know, the, the president of Yavapai College today, Lisa Ryan, she... She caught me in that because I got up in front of Prescott Valley Economic Development Foundation, my ex officio mm-hmm. member, and I asked the question, who here has an HR manager that they really like? And immediately she looked at me and said, Chief, that sounds like a loaded question. Mm-hmm. And I said, you at the college. Yeah, you are absolutely correct, <laughs> doctor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because we are looking for an HR manager here at CAFMA. Uh, kind of difficult to hire in this area right now. So you try to steal other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, Clearly she is uh, much smarter than I. So she, yes, not, not a surprise. She was on top of it. Uh, she, she nailed it right away. The superintendent for Humboldt Unified is like, oh yeah, I love my HR person. I'm like, perfect. You don't have to give me your address. I know where you're at and, yep. and we can make sure we send the mailer directly to her. Perfect. So with that, John, thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Joda, thank you again. Uh, sorry, we had to keep moving this, but I blame the chief of Prescott. Indeed. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's not our fault. So till next week, don't forget to hit like and subscribe. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, we look forward to talking to you very soon. <laughs>